Good morning. How's everybody doing? Can you hear me? Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's great to be here today in what might be our first 70-degree day of the year. I don't know if it's the year, but definitely February. So I love these kind of balmy winter days. But uh, anyway, how's everybody doing? You doing good? It's still crazy time, but uh, God is faithful. Uh, I love where the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. And so uh, if we carry anything longer than a day, then we've forgotten what the Bible teaches uh, because his mercies are new every morning. So I'm going to rejoice in those mercies. I hope you do too. And if you have a Bible, like I said before, turn to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, let's go ahead and pray for God's blessing over the word. Heavenly Father, as we now turn our attention toward the word of God, I pray you would clear out the clutter and open our minds to receive that which you would have for us this morning. Lord, even if it's just that one thing, Lord, that we would receive it with joy and be edified and changed by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who remember a few years back, we used to have a radio program and at the end of each of the programs, there were little 15-minute segments, I would always ask the visitor who came, uh, the guest who was on the show, if you could sum up Christianity in one word, what would it be and why? So I'll just go ahead and pose that to you real quickly right now. If you could sum up Christianity in one word, don't be shy now, just go ahead and shout it out, what would it be and why? Christianity, one word. Peace, love, a lot of the Christmas uh, words here. Which one? Belonging. Ooh, I like that one. I don't know if I ever got that one on the show. Service. Yes. What else? Relationships. What one? Surrender. Ooh, I like that one too. These are all good. None, none of these are wrong. What else? Come on. Family. What'd you say, James? Clinging. Clean, oh, clean, yeah. Clean and clinging to the cross. I like that. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want to see if, 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 if the one that I think of comes up. Anybody here? Anybody else? Believing, yes. The one that, for some reason, I keep coming back to is forgiveness. I don't know why, but when I think of Christianity and I think of that word, all of the words that you just said seem to go through the funnel of forgiveness. That word just screams the person, the identity, the mission, and the long-lasting legacy that Jesus has left both for the world and for our church. And uh, when we really look at renewal, and we look at renewal in the Bible, you know, before God did something big and great and amazing, there was almost always an experience or an event of forgiveness that would happen right preceding that, right before the Pentecost. We have Jesus forgiving Peter of his denials. Right before the coming of Jesus, we have Malachi saying there would be forgiveness between parents and their children and children and their parents. In fact, even in our country, in the American history, church history, you find that a lot of our awakenings and renewals were preceded by great moments of forgiveness. In the 18th century, an American preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards, very famous American preacher, he began what was called the first great awakening in America. 
And the awakening was essentially this, that he was awakening the church from the legalism of the Puritans to the universal forgiveness found at the cross. In fact, one of his famous quotes was, too many Christians in the colonies. See, this is even before we were a nation. This was like in the 1740s. He said, too many Christians in the colonies are content to put on a religious face at private religious meetings while continuing to enjoy their revenge in public. And he dedicated his ministry to destroying that hypocrisy and really taking the American church from the legalism of the Puritans to the freedom in Christ found in the universal forgiveness to all those who trust in Christ and the cross. In the 19th century, there was a man by the name of Charles Finney. He began a prayer meeting in New York City, of all places, and there were hundreds and thousands of businessmen from New York who were gathering uh, with these prayer meetings with Charles Finney. Factions of businessmen came together and they began to forgive each other of their differences. And it brought about what was called the Second Great Awakening and saw one of the greatest revivals that New York City has ever seen. Some of you were alive to remember the 1970s. And in the 1970s, groups of hippies came into the churches of Southern California. And while the pastors were excited to have the hippies come in, many members of the congregations were not. And so many of them left churches, wrote nasty letters to the pastors for allowing these hippies to come in, and wouldn't even engage these hippies who were giving their hearts to Jesus in conversation. Well, uh, in, in some of the books I've read of the time, uh, many of those congregation members were convicted by the Holy Spirit and they came back to those churches and back to those pastors and asked for forgiveness, both for how they treated the pastor and for how they treated the hippies. They asked for forgiveness and it sparked what we call the evangelical renewal uh, or the... Um, the uh the the jesus the the what was it called the jesus revival the jesus movement thank you the jesus movement uh in america that lasted nearly 40 years and so you can see that even in our both in our in our american history and in biblical history that forgiveness is sort of step one to any renewal or any revival that god is going to do in our lives uh, if you're kind of dry, if you're walking with the Lord and you're like, you know what, I, I, wanna, I want a fresh experience. I want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. I want a fresh encounter with God. More often than not, the first thing God is going to ask you is, who, who, who are you being critical with that you need to let that go? Where's the judgmentalism of your heart and you need to let that go? So more often than not, he's going to have us examine where we have forgiveness and maybe more importantly where we have unforgiveness and god wants to deal with that first so it can sort of open our hearts and plant the seed of renewal and revival inside of us because you see here's the basic formula god forgives us by jesus's death on the cross god forgives us so that we can be free from his wrath against our sin which would destroy us. God forgives us so that we can be free from his wrath that would destroy us. Now, here's the second part. God calls us to forgive so that we can be free from our own bitterness and inner wrath 
that will destroy us. The external wrath of God can destroy us. Our own bitterness and anger and inner wrath can also destroy us from within. Forgiveness is God's means of helping us to let go of the past and move forward with God. Now I submit to you, if you have been deeply hurt, then this is not easy. But here's the thing. Unless you come to forgiveness and let go of the past, you're doomed to live there forever. Doomed to live there forever. And believe you me, I have been beside uh, older men and women who are on their hospital bed who are days away from not being on this planet. And all they want to talk about is something that happened in the past that they can't let go of. And it's obvious they are still living in that offense. They're still living in that moment. They're still living where they were hurt. They're still living where they were betrayed. And they have not been able to move on. Here's the thing I was thinking of after I wrote the message today. I was thinking, Tom, have you ever seen God bless a vengeful, critical, judgmental, unforgiving person? I'm I'm not to say that those people can't make their way in the world, but have you ever seen or felt the blessing of God on such attitudes where you're going to keep a fight going, where you are going to get your revenge, where your retaliation is going to be far better than what God could ever do? You know, when, when someone chooses to live, I've never seen powerful, miraculous, or beneficial outcomes happen when a person is critical, unforgiving, vengeful, hateful, begrudging, gossiping, or backbiting to other people. I just haven't. I have never seen it. I think why? Because God does not want to bless unforgiveness. God does not want to bless you doing something to somebody that he's not even doing to you. God never wants us to come to a place where we can say by being unforgiving or bitter or nasty or judgmental, God has blessed me. In fact, Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 18 that is almost exactly the opposite. The story is found in Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 to 35 and the apostle Peter essentially comes to Jesus with a question and he says, Jesus, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him. That's in verse 21, chapter 18 of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, Peter wanted to essentially know, Jesus, how much do I have to take from everybody? Jesus, at what point do I not have to turn the other cheek? I want to get your answer on this. The rabbis have taught us some things. I've got my own thoughts. I want to get it from you. When do I not only not have to turn the other cheek, but I can slap them back in retaliation? Now, come on, everybody has felt that way. Everybody has wanted to know, okay, God, when is it right for me to release my unforgiveness and wrath upon the person? And here's the funny thing. Jesus, I mean, Peter doesn't wait for an answer. He goes ahead and offers one to Jesus before Jesus has a chance to respond. He said seven times, kind of like as a question. Now, actually, if you think about it, it wasn't that bad of an idea. The rabbis of Jesus' day had said that you had to wait at least three times 
for a person to wrong you before you could get revenge, all right? Peter's probably thinking, man, I got a great answer. I've doubled it and added one, you know? I'm really being generous with my enemies by going to seven. It's far past what the rabbis taught with just the three. The problem with Peter is, while his heart may may have been pure, his attitude was wrong. And Jesus answers him in the very next verse, in verse 22, he says, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now that thud you heard right after Jesus said that was Jesus was Peter's jaw hitting the ground because that adds up to 490 times. Essentially, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you've got it all wrong. You don't count, count the number of times you forgive someone forgiveness is unlimited it's a lifestyle you adopt for you and for your walk with god for unforgiveness keeps you doomed to be reliving that hurt and betrayal for the rest of your life and then jesus went ahead and told a story to illustrate the truth the story kind of goes like this a king decided to collect a debt from his credit from his debtors And there was a certain man that owed 10,000 talents. That may not mean much to you. It may seem like $10,000, but actually it wasn't. In Jesus' day, a man might work all his life and earn about 10 talents. Jesus said 10,000. So this is essentially, it would take 1,000 lifetimes to pay that kind of debt back. It's really an an unpayable debt. So the man is flat broke, and he spent it all, and he says, and the king says when he finds out, sell the man's wife, sell the man's kids, sell the man's house, and while you're at it, sell the man himself. Like a bank repo, the king is merely trying to get back whatever he could from all of this money that he had lent out. But the servant fell on his knees and begged him and said, please be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. He can't but he is sincere, and it somehow touches the king's heart. The Bible says that the king was moved with compassion, and he does something that the man doesn't even ask for. The king not only releases him, but the king also forgives the debt. The king forgave this enormous debt, this unbelievable amount of money, and the man walks away scot-free. This is what God has done for all of us. God has canceled a debt that we could not repay in a thousand lifetimes. And we walk away scot-free. This is what God has done for us. This is what Jesus is trying to say. What the king just did for this debtor of 10,000 talents, that is what God has done with us. Now, as that man who had just been forgiven of a thousand lifetimes worth of talents... He walks away from the king and he spots out of the corner of his eye a man who owed him some money. And the Bible says it was about a hundred denarii. You know how much a hundred denarii is? Let me put it to you this way. You could, you could buy your family McDonald's on about a hundred denarii. So we're not talking about a great huge sum of money here. In fact, this man had probably borrowed it to take his wife or family to McDonald's, and he hadn't paid it yet. The Bible says that he saw the friend who owed him the money, 
and he grabbed him by the throat. And he said, where is the money you owe me? I want it now. Now verse 30 says that he had the man thrown in prison until he could repay the debt. Here's the thing. The man who had just been forgiven, who's now grabbing the guy on the throat, he made one crucial mistake. He did all this in broad daylight. If you're going to be chintzy, it's better to do it at night behind closed doors where nobody else can see you. Because somebody saw this happen, somebody who knew what the king had done for that man, and word got around and soon everybody was talking about it. The king finally got hold of the man again and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. And I knew you couldn't pay that in a thousand lifetimes. And then the king says this, listen. Because what the king says to the servant is what God says to us. Listen. Shouldn't you have had mercy when you have been shown so much mercy? Just as I had on you. And it says, and the king had his tormentors, his torturers, come and take the man away. And the same thing happens to us. The tormentors come and take us away. What tormentors, you may say? It's more the hidden kind. The hidden tormentors of anger and bitterness eats your insides out. The tormentors of revenge and criticism that gives us ulcers and high blood pressure, migraine headaches, and lower back pain. The tormentors that make you lie awake at night on your bed, stewing over every rotten thing that has happened to you, reliving the emotions over and over and over again. That's torment. And God wants us to be free from those tormentors. Does forgiveness mean that I have to let people walk all over me? No. No, there are times when the proper response to a, conf- to a conflict is confrontation. In fact, especially when it means that remaining silent gives a tacit approval of the wrong being done. Sometimes you, you have to speak out for conscience sake. It may mean the breaking of a close friendship. It may mean opening a wedge in a relationship that will never be closed. The issue, however, is not how we confront people, but why. The how is how you choose to do it. Maybe you choose to confront Maybe you choose to do it this way. Maybe you choose to do it that way. The how you do it isn't nearly as important as the why. For the why speaks to your heart's motive. If your motive in confronting is to hurt back, to get retaliation, to keep the fight going, to keep both of you looking over the shoulder the rest of your life so that you can keep the conflict going, then God says that that is a why that he will not bless. If the why is to resolve a conflict, 
to bring forgiveness, to bring reconciliation, to be the peacemaker. And the only way you can bring peace is by bringing the two divided parties together in unity and telling them exactly what I'm telling you. But if they don't walk in forgiveness or if you don't walk in forgiveness, you're doomed to live in that moment for the rest of your life. Oh, it may not be daily. But I know people, they could have been wronged 20 years ago. Sure, the passage of time puts some distance by it. But then they hear a song. They watch a movie. Their picture comes up on Facebook. Or golly gee, they're lying in bed and the enemy just kind of brings them right back to that moment and revives that memory in their brain. And you know what happens? They relive it all over again. The hatefulness, the hatred, the revenge, the desire, all of those feelings begin taking place inside all over. And it's in those moments we realize we haven't moved on. We're living right there. It's just the door's been closed for a while. Open that door and it is all right there. As if it just happened yesterday. If we confront injustice out of anger and bitterness or a desire to get even, then God is not for us in that. James chapter 1 verse 20 says, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. But if we confront with an attitude of forgiveness and we leave the vengeance and the lesson learning to God, we are able to move on free of the tormentors and free from living in that moment the rest of our lives. So I got four take-home points this morning and most of you for the first time in months you received a sheet and if you have a pen you can go ahead and fill in that you don't get the answers now. Uh, if, you, if you've been downloading this sheet, I've put in the answers for the last, oh, goodness gracious, maybe nine months. Uh, but now you gotta, you got to put in your own answers. And I know that this week I'll probably get some emails. Hey, can I get the answer number two or three? That's fine. I, I, I don't mind replying to that at all. But you're going to have to put in your own answers this morning. And the first one is this. Point number one, ask the Holy Spirit to help you forgive. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you forgive. Forgiveness is not natural. Forgiveness is not easy. I think sometimes forgiveness is not even psychologically possible depending on how deep the damage was. Forgiveness is very hard and like anything we try to do in our spiritual walk, if we try to do it in our own strength, we are doomed to fail. Whenever there's an issue, issue of forgiveness, I have found in myself I can't properly forgive until I work it out with God first. God, I did this. And I need to ask for forgiveness. Or God, this was done to me. And I need to forgive these people. Whether they've asked for it or not. Forgiveness, the first step begins with the Holy Spirit giving me a supernatural heart to forgive in whatever that situation is. Oh, I can drum up feelings of I'm going to let this go. I'm going to let this go. I am just going to let this go. And that may last for 20 years. But if I don't truly forgive 20 years later, I can come right back to that fire-breathing dragon I wanted to be 20 years earlier. There's something about 
when you lift it up and allow God to work out that forgiveness of you. And it's very simply just say, Holy Spirit, I know I need to forgive so and so. God, I pray you would give me the strength and grace to do that. Because in my heart, I don't want to. And Lord, if we're up to me, I could give you a list of about 10 things I would love for you to do to that person or love for you to let me do to that person. But God, I'm not even going to go down that list. I'm going to trust you to help me work out this conflict. But God, in my heart first, help me to let go of the desire for revenge, retribution and retaliation, to walk in forgiveness so that I can see not only reconciliation take place, but if I need to draw a boundary with this person, the boundary will be from the standpoint of forgiveness, not attack. Holy Spirit, would you do that in my heart? You'd be surprised. You may have to do it a few times. Don't think it's a one-hit wonder. You may go one morning, and by that afternoon, you're mad again. You may have to, go, you may have to keep doing it. Until God just begins to help you to let it go so that you're no longer living there and you release all that to God. And believe me, I have seen God bear down on people. He's much better at it than we are and much more effective at it than we are. I'm not saying you do it with that heart or that spirit. <laughs> but don't think for a moment that if you give something over to God, it's like giving it, that God's going to do nothing. God's going to heal that situation one way or another. Point number two. Go private before you go public. The problem with most of us is we get hurt and we start telling everybody that we have just gotten hurt. All of our friends, all of our family. And by the time we even think to go to reconciliation, we've got a whole army of friends and family that almost need to come with us now because they have shared in the offense. Jesus says, when you are wronged, go to that person, just you and the other person. Keep it private. Keep it local at first. Give that person a chance to forgive or be forgiven, to work it out just amongst you. Because if you take the conflict public before you've tried reconciling it, it's not fair to the reconciliation process anymore, no matter how bad you're hurt. Go private, privately, before you go publicly. Point number three, and I think this is important. Speak it out loud. First in prayer, and then in person. Whenever I know I need to forgive someone, or whenever I'm going to ask for forgiveness, I rehearse it in prayer with God first. I don't know why, uh, but this has really worked for me. And there's something about it that empowers the whole forgiveness process. I've made mistakes. I've made some recent ones where you have to look a person in the eye and say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. Before I ever got to that point, I was with God alone and I said it to him first. God, I'm sorry. I hurt one of your children. I hurt one of those made in the image of God. I ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name. And I don't know, I, sometimes I think my prayers, but they're really, there's an extra power, it seems, when I vocalize them. Now, if you don't want anybody to hear it, go find a park, go find, you know, a place where you can be alone. I'm not saying you have to shout this in your house for everybody, for everybody to hear. It can be private. But there's something about vocalizing it that just seems to have a greater release. And then finally, point number four, 
draw all relational boundaries with a forgiving heart. Look, if somebody wrongs you, you may have to draw boundaries so that, that you're not called to be a punching bag to just keep hit, hurt, getting hurt over and over and over and over. I mean, forgiveness does not mean that somehow we wipe out of our mind the record of what happened. I don't even know if that's possible. Obviously, there's going to be a record of it. What forgiveness is often is more of a choice rather than a feeling. I am going to choose not to dwell on it. I'm going to choose not to stew on it. I'm going to choose not to have those little arguments in my mind that I have. I'm going to choose not to be critical. I'm going to choose not to have revenge. That's often more of a choice rather than a feeling. But there's a big difference between remembering something and dwelling on something. Now you may ask, well, what if the other person doesn't even admit that they're wrong? And you know what? That's going to be the case a lot of times. Obviously, the relationship remains broken. Obviously, there's not trust. Obviously, you have every right to draw a relational boundary in that moment. And it may never be healed. But you can choose on your part to wipe the slate clean so that your life is free from the bitterness. What they do and what they want to do in the conflict, that is up to them. And if they want to keep it going, you may have to draw a firm boundary in your attempt to be a peacemaker. But you can clean your slate. You can wash your chalkboard. You can ask the Holy Spirit to put forgiveness in your heart so that you're not walking and moving on with the bitterness and the tormentors that will come and have you relive that moment night after night, day after day. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You think Jesus' crucifiers, executioners, ever asked forgiveness of him? They didn't. In fact, they probably would have done it again. And yet Jesus' response was a great example for us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And sometimes when I'm in a conflict and I'm walking in forgiveness and the other person isn't, I think of that. You know what, Lord? They don't realize they're going to live the rest of their life in this bitterness. I pray you would show them that. But God, I'm choosing not to. I'm choosing to leave the torment and walk in the freedom. To walk in the forgiveness you pour on me, I'm going to be a funnel and let it pour out to others. The mercy you have shown me, help me to show the world. Not only for their sake, but for my sake. Corey Tim Boom tells a story. This is a really good one. She was hurt maliciously in public. And even though there was a reconciliation and they, she had forgiven these ladies who had hurt her, she found herself at night reliving the experience and getting mad all over. It was consuming her. It consumed her for two weeks. She finally went to her pastor and said, I can't get rid of this. The pastor was a Lutheran pastor. And the Lutheran churches have, uh, they have these steeples with these big high church bells. 
He brought her out, and he said, what is that? She said, it's a bell. He said, go ahead and pull on the rope. So she pulled on the rope. Ding, ding, ding. He said, pull on the rope again. Pull on, she pulled on the rope again. Ding, ding, ding. He said, keep pulling on that rope. So she's ding, ding, ding. And it's just getting louder and obnoxious. And she's like, can I stop pulling on the rope now? He says, let it go. She let go of the rope. Now let me ask you a question. Did the bell immediately stop ringing? No. For about 30 more seconds, you heard the hmm. But she stopped pulling on the rope. And he said, Corey, you need to stop dwelling on these thoughts. Every time they come, you just, in your mind, you picture yourself pulling out the piece of paper and throwing it to God. Just give them to God. But every time you dwell on them, it's like you're pulling the bell again to just ring in your ears over and over and over. He said, pull the rope one last time and then let that ring fade and fade and fade as you walk in the freedom of forgiveness and not in the torment of bitterness and anger. Amen? Amen.